Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the EaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can get us on Twitter at EaglesBeak and obviously our website is EaglesBeak.com. I'm also the host and producer of a local community radio sports show called The Marino Sports Show, where you can get me on uh, Twitter at the Meridian SS. Yeah, uh, Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. I'm on Twitter at Richard Burns. Uh, I am also on the Blooming Podcast, which is a, a weekly Manchester City podcast that you can find on Twitter at Blooming Podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, we're going to talk about something that Richard is going to touch on your um, Manchester City fandom. Although worth noting for the listeners at home, if my audio sounds weird, that's because while the Skype updates are super cool, it's not letting me use my microphone for some reason. So this is good old laptop audio. Hope it's not too bad for you listening at home. Um, But again, talking about the league, for the past month or so, every week people have been talking about whether or not the the title is, is over, whether Manchester City have already basically won it. The win against Manchester United today, just the latest in a long stream of confirmations that they are the best team in the league right now. Uh, curious to get your take from kind of both ends of the table at the moment on if you find the league to be more or less interesting when there's a team as dominant as this Manchester City team have been thus far this season. Um, okay, first note, I mean, for me, um, I, I mean, I love watching Man City play football. And uh, yeah, I guess there's an element of waiting for them to kind of capitulate, but it doesn't look like happening this season. And yeah, it does look sort of ominous in terms of where they are and, and how many points. I think I read a stat today that uh, the points they've accrued so far after the win against United would have seen them finish eighth in the Premier League last season, even at this stage. Wow. It's just crazy. I'm sure that's, that's right. It, uh, maybe it's just top 10, but I, I'm sure it's an eighth. Um, it, it, uh, yeah, it's right. It's crazy. Uh, um, and it just shows the dominance that City have had this year, but I think it's more perhaps the failings of other sides where, um, uh, you, you know, I mean, on the flip side, you've got the, the bottom half of the table, which I think I think is going to be the tightest it's been for a, for a lot for a number of years. Uh, but you know, if City are going to walk away with a title. You've still got a number of places up for grabs along some you know, relatively me- mediocre, you know, rest of the top six teams really haven't you because none of them are particularly playing that well they're the ones that have slipped up uh, against other sides and, and Man City just um, you know marched on um, whether the interest um, you know lowers a little bit because the team is so dominant yeah maybe but sometimes you know in a, you know, over a course of a few seasons this happens every once in a while because um, you know City have bought, you know, bought players in well um, I think some of the players have kind of aged well and settled in you know in good time you know De Bruyne are now in in what is it, his second or third season at City? Um, he is looking the best he ever has done. Um, Aguero obviously scored, you know, scoring goals obviously won't playing today, but it's just a multitude of talents at City, which nobody at the moment can compete with. It just seems to be a bit of a juggernaut heading through the Premier League. Um, yeah, they're going to lose the game at some point, but um, hopefully it'll be uh, on New Year's Eve, I'm fingers crossed. <laughs> but, uh, but joking aside, yeah, it's, it, you know, maybe it's a little bit disappointed and makes the Premier League a little bit disjointed, but I think there's still a lot to play for elsewhere anyway yeah also a stat that will not uh flatter you jay unfortunately is that the gap between city and united is the same as the amount of points crystal palace have um which makes it look pretty all right cheers guys i'm gonna log off right now is that (laughs) (laughs) bye jay um (laughs) richard obviously you're gonna have a slightly different take on this being a city supporter what is it feeling like just sitting so clear and knowing how dominant you've been when you've already had issues like losing Mendy for the season, 
um, not really being able to use Aguero and Jesus simultaneously, although Pep did it like the week after he said that he would never do it again. Yeah, um, it's well, it's unbelievable to be honest. Um, the, I mean, just after games, just reading like which record has fallen that day. It's just it's a it's a weekly thing at the moment. So um, I think to, well, not I think today was our fourteenth consecutive Premier League win, which is a all time top flight uh, Premier. Uh, sorry, not Premier League, an all time top flight record now. Which was Tottenham's consecutive- right from sixty sixty one. Uh, I think it was joint with a few. Um, mm-hmm. the, the 13, and I think Arsenal did it. And there was also, I think, a Sunderland team. And going back right to the 1800s, like Preston had done it. And so that's a, a very long-standing record that's toppled today. Um, and then you look at, I think this is still the case, but um, forgive me, I might be wrong, um, where our goal difference is higher than any other team's goal scored. And, and all this stuff is um, it's crazy. And the, the most incredible thing about it is this. Obviously, we've been through that period of the the 5-0 wins, the 7-2 win against Stoke, where it felt like we were going to score with almost every shot we had and where it was absolute sort of free-flowing football. What we've experienced in the last few weeks uh, is teams learning a bit more how to defend against us. And essentially, to boil it down, it consists of close off the space and conserve energy. And it's the only it's the only way teams are finding at the moment to cause us any problems at all. Southampton did it better than anyone, where they, uh, I mean, it was it was boring as anything, but like without, I, I say, um, not in any kind of snide way, it was genuinely sort of intriguing to watch what they did against us because they weren't interested in the ball until the very final third, at which point they went hunting in twos and threes. And it was the, it sounds so simple, but it was the cleverest uh, setup I've seen against us so far. And then for that, you can sort of read Huddersfield and read West Ham and in all seriousness, read Manchester United at home, having to try and do a very similar thing. Um, And it's, I I guess it's a compliment to to City that... um, that Jose Mourinho could see no other way to to try and take anything from the game, despite having a sort of equally expensive or more expensive squad and, and all the rest of it. They have to defend against us. And so from our point of view, from a City point of view, um, I can see why maybe it wouldn't be interesting for the rest of the league to watch a team currently romping away with it. Obviously, there could be a blip and, and by no means counting chickens. Uh, but currently running away with things it's interesting to see how teams approach us and I think we all accept that obviously there is going to be a defeat coming sometime soon nobody's banking on an unbeaten season or anything like that um so I guess it's a, it's a different kind of interest from us but the, the feeling of of going to games and um almost feeling like the one before you get there and again I say that not arrogantly but it's the reality of the situation at the moment um and, and to go there with no sort of nerves is it's a very odd feeling, to be honest, because it's it's so at odds with how we felt over the last few seasons. Where, despite being the the longest serving club to um, or having the most consecutive top top four finishes now, um, I've not worded that very well. Of all the teams that, that consistently make the Champions League, we're the ones currently to go back the furthest. Does that make any sense? Yes. Right. Okay. So because consecutive- United and Chelsea and, and uh, Arsenal had years where they missed. Every other team is sort of um, rotating it. I didn't mean to say that biasly. Tottenham also have obviously missed. Yeah, of course. Um, and so all this stuff, despite the fact that we've generally been fairly successful over the last few seasons, uh, there's been a, a real sort of apathetic feeling at the Etihad, watching us sort of coast to these top four finishes without getting close to winning the league. Or, well, say coasting. We saved it to the last day of the last two seasons, uh, but fallen way short of the title. So this season, to suddenly have this thing where the Etihad feels like a fortress again, and where I think that's 12 out of 13 away wins now, only the Shakhtar game was a blip when it didn't matter. Um, it's very interesting for us. <laughs> but I can see why it makes the season less interesting to everybody else when the, maybe the title race starts to look like it isn't a race at all. Uh, yeah, just going back to the beginning of what you said, that is correct. Manchester City's goal difference is plus 37. The most goals by any other team is United with 36. Also, fun fact, it's also more goals than any team has conceded. Stokes being the league worst, conceding 35. Still less than that 37 of Manchester City's goal difference, which is pretty crazy. Uh, obviously, as you said, things could happen. But with an 11-point cushion already, it would have to be a very significant blip. And with the kind of depth you have right now, hard to see uh, anybody catching up, to be honest. Next up, 
Uh, we're going to talk about which teams and players have surprised us most this season. This can be for good or bad, either end of the table. Really just take your pick. What what team is the most different than what you anticipated coming into the year? I think for me, Everton uh, probably disappointed the most out of, out of anybody. You know, what with a, a big summer they had selling Lukaku, obviously... You know, now having got rid of Kuman and brought in Allardyce and um, you know the, the signings that they made seemingly uh, not performing. Um, it reminded me an awful lot of Tottenham a few years ago when they sold Gareth Bale really and, mm. and spent all that money in one go on on a multitude of players who just didn't fit, didn't work out, um, and I don't think many of them are still there anymore. So it really smacks of that. Um, Allardyce will get them going up and moving up. So I think they've had two wins now and a draw in the last three games, which has seen them push the top ten. So. Um, that's good for them. Um, elsewhere, teams that have disappointed. Um, I mean, I think Man City have been so good that it's made a lot of the, yeah, the the other sides which were expected to challenge for a title um, look pretty poor in a way. Um, I mean, Chelsea have slipped up probably more than I expected. I mean, Palace uh, beat them earlier this season. Obviously, lost to West Ham yesterday, so I, I wouldn't have expected them to slip up quite so much as they have. Uh, again, Arsenal. I thought Arsenal would have been stronger this year, but obviously. I Say early days already, but it's um, you know for City in the form they're in, it's uh, it, it looks a little bit too late for for some of these sides to um, you know to to, to, to put, try and plug that gap. Um, I'm just thinking elsewhere up and down. Hey, probably probably nobody's really shone more than I expected, other than perhaps City to be in the position they are. But we already spoke about that. So um, see, I think Everton are probably the bigger bigger surprise for me because I thought they would probably push on a little bit what with the new additions they had and Kuman, but uh, clearly they haven't. Yeah, I think um, in a from a positive one, uh, Burnley have surprised me. I didn't expect them to. Yeah, I didn't expect them to be pushing as, as high as they have done at all. I actually thought um, that they'd have a real struggle this season. Mm. Uh, so maybe possibly a bit uh, naive from me, maybe not being as clued into anything they did over the summer. Uh, but I just I, I really expected second season struggles, and they, they look like they're going to uh, actually stay up quite convincingly. Um, they've, uh, from what I've seen of them, and uh, I'm not going to claim to watch them every week or anything like that. But from what I've seen of them, they uh, generally appear to. Uh, I think they've improved their style of play. Uh, they've got they're, they're very set in what they do, uh, but I think they've they've definitely got better at it. They're not just reliant on home form anymore. Their, their away form is uh, uh, is pretty good, and so given that they, um, without disrespecting them, I think they could probably look at sort of a, a mid-table as a, a ceiling, certainly for this season, and with the way that they, they handle their finances. They don't they don't loosen the purse strings easily. Um, I think seventh place is a, a pretty astonishing achievement, and um, it's very easy when a team sort of roots themselves into that, that seventh, eighth, ninth place, and you get used to them sort of being just, just consistent. It's easy to forget how big an achievement that is for, for a club like Burnley. Uh, and and so sort of can't give them enough credit for it. Really, they're probably not going to push on into sort of any kind of European contention, realistically. Um, but yeah, it's it's something to work with. There's obviously kept Sean Dyche, which was in major doubt when uh, when Everton let Koeman go, and so there's no reason why they they shouldn't finish in a mid-table position and sort of um, prove prove to staying up. Um, and then down at the bottom, I would say. Uh, I've still been slightly surprised by West Ham. I didn't expect them to be as much of a disaster. I thought they might get the whole stadium move thing after after a season at the London Stadium where they struggled a bit. I thought they might have got that out of the system, but they've just been and they spent a bit of money in the summer, but they've just been absolutely abject. Uh, none of the signings have, uh, or very few of the signings have absolutely hit off in the short term. Joe Hart, uh, it, it saddens me to see, is looking. A bit of a disaster, and I, I think he'll struggle to get back in the team now. Obviously, they, they played against us, and uh, the, because he couldn't play against us as his parent club, Adrian had a good game against us, and I think that's given Moyes the excuse he was looking for to take Joe Hart out without really facing any kind of scrutiny for it. Um, Arnautovic has, up until the weekend result, been a bit of a disaster and taken a lot of stick, and it just it hasn't felt like a, a healthy club, really. Um, the, the signings just, I think, are a, a mishmash of signing players. Sort of my approach on football manager, really, just signing players that are good and <laughs> uh, genuinely like players that you sign that are, are good and allow you to spend your money 
uh, but without really having a plan for exactly where they fit in or how they improve the team or the squad as a whole. Uh, and Moyes, I mean, he might he might turn it round. Obviously, he's had a, a, an absolutely fantastic win against Chelsea and they were pretty good against City. Uh, but it's just such an underwhelming appointment. You're looking for somebody to come in and get you out of trouble and you go for a guy that, uh, that went down with an abysmal Sunderland team last year um, and is, is tainted by his last three jobs. Very underwhelming. So I've been really disappointed by them because I was very interested to see what they do with the players that they bought, but it, it just looks like more of the same from them. Yeah, definitely agree with you that their um, player acquisitions seem to always be made in a vacuum without any specific long-term vision, um, which I think has very much hampered West Ham. Also agree on Burnley, um, who have been incredible. I... Uh, have no shame in mentioning that I had them being relegated at the start of the year in my preseason predictions because uh, they lost Andre Gray when they had already kind of struggled to score goals. Uh, and then mm. they lost Michael Keane, who was their best center back. So I figured they'd be worth it both, at both ends. I thought that um, we would see some regression from Tom Heaton, um, which not only did we not see, but then now they just have another one in Nick Pope. Um, so I've been very impressed with uh, Burnley thus far. I, I am genuinely very bummed, not not only for the injury period, because I, I, I uh, as somebody that played sports, I'm always very sympathetic with injuries, so feel very bad for Robbie Brady and hope he recovers well. But I'm also disappointed for us, for, for uh, not casuals, for uh, neutrals. <laughs> That's the word I wanted. Um, because with Robbie Brady and that team, they had a lot of creative outlets. I mean, Good Munson has been doing very well on the right Jack Cork has been a very good signing for them this season. They still have DeFore, who's finally getting up to speed after kind of being in and out of the team last year due to struggles and injuries. Um, I think they could have locked down a place like 7th or 8th. And, you know, with a with the right kind of FA Cup winner, could have, like, snuck into Europe the way Swansea did. Oh, wait, no, Swansea won the whatever it was that year. Capital One, Carabao, uh, that cup. <laughs> um, but, yeah, have also been very impressed by Burnley. I've also been very impressed by Watford. What Marco Silva has done there has been incredible. A lot of it comes down to how talented Richarlison is, but DeCorey's had a very good season thus far. Before his horrible red card yesterday, Ziegler had been an improvement over uh, Jose Holobas going both ways on the pitch. Um, I still think they need some center backs <laughs> at some point. Um, Protal definitely not up for the task, but uh, been very impressed with them. And uh, as soon as you sign Marco Silva as your manager, you've basically just agreed to get the majority of your points at home. And that's obviously going to help any team. So yeah, having both Burnley and Watford currently in the top 10, I think is a very, very interesting development. And kind of tying back to the first topic, just because the title looks over doesn't mean there aren't a lot of interesting things. Just like Jay was saying, it actually makes everything right behind City very interesting. Because like, you know, two weeks ago, everybody was talking about, oh, Tottenham struggles, can't win at Wembley, they're awful. I mean, we've been doing that all season. But then all of a sudden you have a weekend like this. Tottenham win 5-1 and everyone else in the top six drops points. And so it's just going to keep that whole thing churning through the rest of the season. I think the the relegation battle is going to be more interesting than it has in years past because uh, aside from maybe Huddersfield, and that sounds hateful after a 2-0 win and after they started the season so well, it, every team has Premier League talent. Like there are years before where you're looking at other squads, some of the teams down there, and you're like, they're not good enough to stay up. I think squad-wise, most of the teams this year are good enough to stay up, at least 18 to 19, and some of them won't. And so I think that will also be uh, very interesting through the end of the season. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
All right, Jay, I'm going to lead in with you now that we're back from the break to talk about Crystal Palace. I'll get a little bit more specific in my follow-up question, but seeing as we have not had you on in months, just curious <laughs> to get your take on this already roller coastery ride we've had from Crystal Palace with Frank DeBoer coming in, then not really having the players he needed with Zaha and Bateke being hurt, and then bringing in Hodgson, starting to get them back. Crystal Palace on a good run of results, uh, although you could argue any of them should have been wins instead of draws. Uh, just what have you made of your season to this point? Well, this huge a roller coaster for us Palace fans. It really is. It, there's never a dull or rarely a dull season uh, supporting Palace, which um, I suppose isn't a bad thing. But uh, you know, a, a season or two of mid-table obscurity would be nice. Um, yeah, I, I apologize I've been on for a while, but um, yeah, I, I won't try and run through a season too much. But yeah, you mentioned Frank de Boer. That was a seemingly big mistake. Should he have had longer? <sighs> questionable. I mean, the Premier League's all about money and, and Palace can't afford to be relegated and to have kept him in the position he was in and the way we were playing. Um, it sounds like a ridiculous call after four games, but um, I think there are a lot of regrets in terms of uh, the, the board from making the appointment um, and they were getting twitchy by the time it got to that Burnley um, defeat. And that Burnley defeat is the end of his reign at Palace, but we actually battered Burnley that day away from home. We lost 1-0 for a, a a typical charismatic def- uh, defensive mistake from us, which meant that we lost 1-0 to an early goal. Um, I think we had about 28 shots on goal that game. Um, and there were signs that you know things might actually improve under the board. But um, the boards with what, what, what was straight after that game was a, a run of the top six pretty much uh, teams. And I think it was a, a horrendous uh, fixture list for us at that point. Um, Roy Hodgson's come in and he's made, um, he's pretty much made an impact straight away. It's probably took a couple of games for him to acclimatise to the squad and um, obviously hasn't managed in the Premier League for a little while. A lot of people are saying, well, he's, he's too old. But to be honest, he's, he's turned us around and, 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 you know, we've made up the gap. Um, we're playing good football. We're, 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 we're playing a lot of possession-based football now. Um, even the defence are playing with the ball and, and not boosting our field, which is good to see. Um, sometimes I do wish they'd clear their lines a bit quicker rather than playing or sometimes gives us all heart attacks a little bit. But um, And you're right, Kev, I think we, we've played well enough to, to have gotten more wins than we have. Uh, I'm not saying you deserve these things in football, but I think sometimes the way we've, the, the games we've played, we've certainly been unlucky in that we've, we've, we've managed to get draws out of games which we perhaps should have won. Yesterday was a prime example, not jumping too far ahead, but um, yesterday against Bournemouth, 2-2 draw. A lot's been made of what happened at the end of the game. But to be fair, I, the, the chances we had, we should have been, um, we should have had the three points before we got to that uh, uh, penalty missed by Benteke right at the end. But um, yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Um, Roy Hodgson, I've been impressed with how he's got about, it, gone about his business at Palace. He's, he's assessed the squad. Um, he's inherited a squad with just one fit striker, which is Benteke. And uh, obviously he got injured quite early on. So even without him, made things difficult. But he managed to get some results through that period of time. And, he, and he's given us a fighting chance. And he always said when he came in that get us to January, then he can make a few additions to the squad of his own. Um, but as long as we're not cut adrift, and I, I think that I mean the big biggest thing is that I think any previous season we would have been cut adrift. But this bottom half of the, the table this year is um, I don't know whether it's a, a, you mentioned Kev that it's you know a lot of Premier League there's a lot of good squads in the Premier League this year. But I, I think you know, everyone's taking points off each other, and any, any other season we would have been cut adrift like I think Sunderland were last season. But luckily we haven't been. We've picked up points at the right times. We got off the bottom of the table last weekend. Unfortunately, we dropped down to it um, yesterday. But you know, we've we've only lost one game in seven now, um, and and that's and that's good form for us. We, we should have had wins at some of those, which would have made things a little bit better. But we're in touching distance, so we've given ourselves a fighting chance with a couple of favourable games coming up, and then we've, we're hitting the big boys again um, over Christmas into New Year. So we we'll see how that goes. Yeah, more specifically, I do want to talk about. Uh, the ending to the match yesterday. We don't need to get into <laughs> penalty decisions. The stance of this podcast has and always will be, don't give the referee a chance to make a decision. It also happened yeah. in the Merseyside Derby today. It covers all of these scenarios. Just don't give him the chance. But yeah. um, Christian Benteke comes on. For those that don't know, Milivojevic had scored one earlier. Also, uh, Jay, you may be surprised to hear that in your absence, we have all learned how to actually say that name. Um, <laughs> why... Uh, why do you think that change was made and has any news come out of the club about whether or not that was planned or if it was uh, decided on the pitch? 
It wasn't planned. Benteke, um, whether you deem it as being pure greed, selfishness or whichever, or I, I kind of looked at it as a striker desperate to get on the score sheet, hasn't scored a goal this season, spent a fair few games out injured. Um, he had a good game yesterday. He had a really good game. Um, but unfortunately, the the, the taking of the penalty away from Luka Milivojevic, who is our penalty taker, as you mentioned, he scored a great penalty earlier in the game. Um, Luka is our... It's easy to say Luka. As we've uh, as we've learned over the season, um, <laughs> it, it's it. He is the designated penalty taker, um, and if you'd have seen James Tompkins racing from the bench um, during, I think you can see it in one of the clips. Um, he was uh, infuriated by the fact that Benteke wouldn't give it up, and I think Luca took the ball, put it down on the spot, walked away, uh, you know, to line up uh, to, to take it, and Benteke came over, had a chat with him, and, and Luca laughed, and something was said. Um, and Lucas Shrodji soldiers walked away and let him have it. Um, uh, to be honest, to me, if, if Lucas the uh, designated penalty taker, then he should be stronger and say, no, you know, I, I'm taking it. Um, there was no particular leadership on the pitch. Sacco had already gone off injured, who's our captain. I'm sure if Sacco was on the pitch, he probably he would have uh, put his foot down um, and Tompkins couldn't get there quick enough uh, by the time the referee let him take it, unfortunately. But uh, Hodgson said after the game that, um, you know, frustration that uh, Benteke chose to take the penalty. That's a full penalty he's missed uh, for Palace since he's been at the club. Um, and he takes, he's taken the same penalty every time. Um, and that was the worst of the lot. Um, he has scored one penalty. Um, it was a season before he uh, joined us. It was for Liverpool in the ninth second minute after he dived in the penalty area and he scored against us. That's the last time he scored a penalty. So, um, yeah, a lot of fans are clearly annoyed and frustrated with Benteke. Uh, like I said, he had a really good game yesterday, but... Um, that was overshadowed by the fact that he effectively stole a penalty penalty kick off of Luca. Uh, hence, he missed it, and uh, he's uh, currently public enemy number one in South London. So he's got a lot to make up for. Um, well, hopefully, we haven't got we haven't got to wait too long because we're at home to Watford on Tuesday. So I'm pretty certain he'll have a bit between his teeth for that game. Yeah, and you would think that he could start getting in. I mean, you mentioned it was a decent performance, but he should start getting in the goals. Um, fun mm. fact, uh, Kabai and Andros Townsend are both top five in chances created and uh, mm. crosses over the last yeah. five weeks. So with that kind of supply, also Zahab getting back to his best, uh, just starting to make defenders look silly again, uh, picking up where he left off last <laughs> yeah. season. In theory, Crystal Palace should be trending upwards from here on out. Um, <clears throat> Richard, coming to you now, we've already talked about how just surreal it must be every week. Again, as you said, even going into a derby, feeling confident that, that you could secure the win. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what you don't have right now, which is an actual left back. Fabian Delph has been deputizing very well, by the way. I was very prideful last year in the fact that Tottenham had three of the best 10 wingbacks in the Premier League. Now we're finding out that pretty much anybody can be one, uh, if you just believe hard <laughs> enough. Um, but uh, Fabian Delph was a question mark earlier this week as to whether or not he'd be able to make it. Had he not been fit... Do you have any inkling as to what direction Pep would go? And how do you think you'll cover that at least until January? And would you buy another left back? Uh, to answer the last question first, uh, yes, I probably would. Um, I don't know who. So, um, you know, I'm not, uh, unfortunately, not a, not a scout. It would be a nice, well-paid job. But, um, yeah, the we, we could do with one. Um, Delph, as long as he's fit, is more than adequate cover. He struggles occasionally with um balls that come over the top of him it's the only uh way it's the only part of his game where his reading doesn't look fantastic mm. and um, today oh, yes exactly um and he was arguably at fault for that when southampton um scored their equalizer against us a couple of weeks ago um it was a, in his defence, it was an absolutely fantastic cross over the top of him um uh, but he sort of lost his bearings and made a, a very um, a very clumsy attempt to sort of volley it out, but got nowhere near the ball at all. And then it was played back across him uh, and, and we paid for that. So yeah, we could do with one. Um, if he was to be injured, then I fear that we'd end up putting Danilo at left back. And that is, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's not played a lot. He's probably played less than he would have expected when he came in for, you know, being a, a £25 million summer signing, knowing that fullbacks had been our biggest problem for a couple of years. He could reasonably have expected to play more, but Walker's been fantastic. Um, Delph has been 
strangely exceptional on the left. And so it sort of left Danilo in this sort of nowhere land already. And that the games that he does come in where he's really got to stake his claim, he's not been great. He was um, disastrously bad against Shakhtar in the, the midweek game. Obviously, I say disastrously, it had no impact on the season. We'd already finished top of the group. But in terms of giving himself a chance to get in a run of games, really, really poor, um, which was very worrying to be honest. Uh, so that would leave us possibly with three at the back and two wing-backs in Sane and Sterling. Hasn't worked out fantastic the times that we've tried that. We certainly we tried it last season and uh, not through lack of effort, but Sterling and Sane's defensive work uh, left quite a bit to be desired. Um, like I say, it wasn't through trying. It wasn't that they weren't running back, but it's just not a natural part of the game. And if you've got natural full-backs, then you can sort of you can allow that because they can do the hold-up part um, of, the, of the play, but maybe where they're actually required to get the foot in and make the tackle, uh, that's where they, they definitely fall down. So, yeah, we I think we do need cover because other than that, I guess as an absolute an absolute push, you, you're left with maybe using Mangala there, and he's actually been decent in the games that he's played. I thought he was great when he came on today. But um, it just leaves sort of shoehorning him in as a as a left-footed defender, trying him at left back, and his game isn't suited to that. Um, he's at times barely been suited to um, being a defender at all, to be honest. But he's looking up, so um, promising. But I wouldn't want him at left back. So yes, we we do we need cover there definitely. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on uh, with you. Uh, this isn't the fantasy show, so I want to know you with the Aguero Jesus thing. But let's talk a little bit about um, Raheem Sterling, who uh, even as, as recently as the summer, people were trying to throw into a deal for Alexis, um, which is not what that deal would have been. But people were for some reason trying to get rid of him. Um, up until this season, I think everybody saw the potential. How much has that just translated to ability right now? Like He's obviously progressed. He's obviously won you a lot of matches this season. Do you think there's still more to come from him? Or do you think this is about uh, what we'll see from Raheem Sterling through the majority of his career? No, I think there's a lot more to come from him. I mean, the the, the improvement has been so sharp, uh, and it's it's all th- I will say all thanks to Pep. Obviously, Sterling's the one who's got to cross the white line of a match day and and actually put it into action. But Guardiola's coaching of Sterling has been unbelievable. There was a, a video during the rounds a couple of weeks ago after the uh, the late win over Feyenoord, and it was a video. It was only about a minute and a half, and it was filming. Guardiola uh, having a really intense, as he always does, a really intense conversation with Sterling, just directing him on like the slightest sort of shifts in his body shape. And then it showed his winning goal against Feyenoord. And it was an exact replica of what you could see Pep showing him on the training pitch. This this um, staying sort of on the half turn all the time. So you've always got sort of full view of the pitch and always in a position to, to make the run on from the ball and meet it perfectly. Um, and for a minute and a half, it was a really good glimpse into into the sort of coaching that goes into making a player this good. Like you say, everybody's seen the potential. He was given a very rough ride by uh, the press, which translated into an unfairly rough ride uh, from supporters, from a lot of City fans, to be fair, in his first season. Uh, but he was very badly coached in his first season. Pellegrini tried turning him into a sort of pass and goal player, and that is absolutely not his game. Um, what he's never been good at, is the decision making that the final that decision making in the final third has always let him down to the point that it almost became a cliche to say he's got loads of potential but he can't finish uh, and and that's changed so much this season the positions that he gets into are like staggeringly good you watch how many of his goals are scored where he's just between the posts and within 10 yards of the goal given that that's one of the most marked positions on the pitch to have the intelligence to find yourself in like five yards of space consistently in the box um, is obviously it owes a lot to the quality of his teammates as well and the the way they pull everybody out of position. But it's almost just like classic classic striking positions. So he's making a transition from being a wide player to being a central player or having a free role to, to roam from the right wing and, and into central positions. Which, what that then does for the rest of the team, without diverging from the point too much, what that does for the rest of the team in terms of knocking the argument about Aguero and Jesus playing together, it knocks that into a cocked hat because we don't need them to. Because we've suddenly got Raheem Sterling who can 
play both wide and central all at the same time in a way that Jesus and Aguero can't. So Sterling starts to become the better option than trying to shoehorn those two in together. Um, his improvement has been vast, but he can still be better in the final third. He can still make better decisions on whether to take a man on or whether to pass it or what the right pass is or better positioning. And that's the most exciting thing. Um, he's already brilliant to the point that he's, we've seen links popping up with Real Madrid again over the last couple of weeks, which I hope are uh, no more than paper talk. But if we get his peak years and we've got a hell of a player, because I, I still think there's a lot of improvement in him. And if ever a manager was going to get him out of him and won't let him sort of rest on the standard he's at now, then it's Guardiola. Yeah, a uh, couple of thoughts on that from, from me. Uh, saying how much he can get in centrally, as much as I just joked about quality wingbacks, I think adding Kyle Walker is what's allowing him to do that. Um, yeah. Because Walker can just occupy the entire right side any match, um, either going forward or going back. And secondly, it is strange how little love Raheem Sterling gets from the media and from neutrals, uh, considering that this is a young, talented English player that is consistently scoring goals that win matches for a team that is as historically significant as we mentioned earlier in this show. Like this, this should be one of the most promising bright spots for the future of English football. And for some reason he just does not get that kind of, uh, reputation. I feel like we might have had this conversation before possibly off air. Um, I, um, I, I think I have a good idea of the reason that Raheem Sterling gets different treatment to a lot of his England teammates that were mm. as big down at the last European Championship. The likes of um, Kane and, well, every one of them, every player, and Sterling was targeted by papers with uh, certain political leanings that made a big deal of him being a rich young man who bought a sort of fancy sink for his mum was headline news and then one day it's he's bought a, a new fancy car but the next day it's that he's driving a cheap car to training one day it's that he does his weekly shopping in waitrose and the next day he's been in greg's and bought a sausage roll for a pound the next day his car's dirty and he's, too, he's so rich but he doesn't bother to wash his car it's insidious and it's awful but it is dying down but the the, the treatment that he's had has been um, it's been nothing short of sort of character assassination to be honest, but uh, he's rising above it and he's all the more appreciated now by City fans for it. Mm, yeah, and all credit to him for for turning into this kind of player when sometimes surrounded by that pressure, players can crumble. Um, do either of you have any questions for a previously beleaguered but now delighted Tottenham supporter? Um, I do think I mean this is uh, maybe a daft question given the the nature of uh, Tottenham's win yesterday. But uh, do you think that now fully pulls them out of the the bad run that they've been in, or into that? Because it seems it struck me in the last few weeks that it's been um, very sort of untypical of Pochettino's Tottenham team. The way they've really well, they struggled to get wins on the board. Was it, was it um, two points from from a? possible 12 before the, the win against Stoke was it yeah I think so yeah because it uh, was what uh two losses a draw to Watford and uh I don't know but oh there would have been either another loss or another draw in there somewhere but yeah, yeah. It, typically we have ridden out seasons pretty well you know we, we would like uh two years ago I think we only lost five games last year I think we lost four on the season um I think we're already near there this year yeah we've already lost four this season um I think it's really interesting. It's been a very strange year as a Tottenham fan um, because things that we used to like joke about are kind of becoming true. Like Kane not scoring in August. There was a reason the previous season, right? His first year he didn't play in August, which is why all those stats were a little skewed because we still had Soldado and Adebayor and thought they were better, which now is hilarious looking back. <laughs> then the next year he played in the uh, U23 World Cup, which kept him from summer training. Then the following year he was at the Euros, which kept him from training. So this was like the first year where we were like, okay, no excuses going in, he should be fine. He didn't score, right? <laughs> then uh, the Wembley thing, everybody threw it up about how it was going to be this crazy thing. It was going to be horrible for us. We say it's going to be fine. We we lose to Chelsea. Um, we struggle against Arsenal. We draw Swansea. And so then all of a sudden, all those demons start coming back. But in the process, we beat Dortmund significantly in the Champions League. Little did we know that Dortmund were going to struggle as much as they had this year, and they already fired their manager. Um, this is not a Bundesliga podcast, but if you didn't know, Peter Bosch got sacked yesterday as we record. Um, and so every time, I, I think it's a great question, because every time it feels like we've gotten past it, 
it comes back. So like we thought August was a joke for him. We thought Wembley was a joke. Uh, and the most recent thing is we're currently thinking November is a joke because it's when we fell off the title pace last year as well with losses to West Ham. Uh, we got kicked out of the Champions League because we drew and then lost to Leverkusen back-to-back -back, uh, in Champions League matches. The obvious difference, as Mauricio Pochettino has pointed out this year, is we're currently only one win behind where we were last season, although City are significantly better than anyone that was in first uh, near this stage last season. Um, but we won our Champions League group. And Richard, I think of all fan bases, you'll, you'll get this priority shifting that we had from Manchester City like two or three years ago, where once you had won the title, it was like, all right, well, now we have to do something in the Champions League. Like, that was the next priority. And yeah. I think after our failure last year in the Champions League, that was very much a decision that was made, was let's try to prioritize the Champions League. I think it was uh, boggled a little bit by the draw we had. Because obviously, day of the draw, everybody's looking at Tottenham in a group with Dortmund and Real Madrid and, and just writing us off. Um, but I think as soon as we got that first win against Dortmund, then all we had to do was get a point against Real Madrid, basically, to go through, as long as we beat Dortmund the second time. And then we drew, and then beat Real Madrid, and then beat Dortmund again, just for luck. Um, so, uh, in the Premier League, the new joke is that we struggle in November under Pochettino. It's now happened two consecutive years. We can look forward to next year and see if that trend is confirmed or not. Um, but another thing that's accompanied those Novembers are injuries to Toby Alderweireld, uh, who is crucial for us. And I know he's not a sexy or flashy center back, but uh, I wouldn't find it very difficult to name an outright better center back in the Premier League right now. Um, and the fact that he's missing, the fact that we've been without Victor Wanyama since August who is one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League. I, th this, these are not our flair players. This isn't Kane, this isn't Delhi. this isn't Eriksen or Son. But these are core components to what we try to do as a team. And while Dyer is crucial in his uh, flexibility between being a defensive midfielder and a center back, he's obviously far worse than Toby Alderweireld as a center back, and he's worse as a defensive midfielder than Victor Wanyama. So like we, we've plugged somewhat well. And, and in, in years past, we hear a lot of fan bases say, you know, why aren't the media talking about our injuries? And then you always like strum them up for, for other teams. Um, could be a small factor of that, but I just think it's the positions. I think if we were without Harry Kane and then struggled, that would obviously be the narr narrative about it, but you just don't really hear it with players like Wanyama and, and Toby Alderweireld. But we just kind of pick up. We give new players chances. Devinson Sanchez had been doing really well until his silly red card against Watford. Um but I, I think I think I actually answer your question like five minutes later. Yes, I do think our struggles are somewhat behind us. Tottenham historically do very well over this winter period. We tend to kind of catalyze a comeback for the rest of the season over this period when a lot of teams rotate, a lot of teams struggle to pick up points, as we saw this weekend. We mentioned earlier, everyone in the top six besides City and Tottenham dropping points. Um and we're only one point behind uh, Arsenal at the moment, I think two behind Liverpool, and that's that's where that interesting chase is going to be. Um, I don't know whether or not we're going to finish top four. I think that's still very much up in the air. It won't matter because we're going to win the Champions League. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think our struggles are largely behind us. Uh, we need a little bit more consistency from Aurier. Um I think that that would be crucial for us, but we can rotate. We have a lot of healthy options. Sun is in fantastic form right now. The the fact that we've done as well as we have with Ericsson only playing well one out of every three games for us, but it's one out of every one for Denmark. And Dela Ali hasn't had a good match. I mean, yesterday, to be fair, he was very good yesterday. But he he has this new thing, actually, very Sterling like, where right now he keeps trying tricky things, and almost every time it seems like it's the wrong decision. We are just waiting for him to do the right thing. He did play a lovely reverse ball to Sun uh, for his goal. But, man, is he getting frustrating right now. And if it was up to me, I'd probably bench Ali for a few games and play Sun instead. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think, I think we're turning things around now. And we'll definitely be in that top four chase. The title, as we mentioned earlier, probably passed us at this point. All right, now we're going to move into player watch. We already touched on this a little bit with you, Richard. Uh, but with less than a month until the January window opens, what position do you guys think needs to be strengthened most at your club? I, like any other Palace fan, will be hopeful that we will improve on our goalkeeping position. I, I'm not sure um, quite what every manager before Roy Hodgson has thought in, in choosing Wayne Hennessy to be our number one goalkeeper. Um, it, it clearly hasn't worked um, to date. Um, Julian Sproni is fantastic as a, as a number two, but 
he's getting on. He's not getting any older, um, but he's filled in for us remarkably this 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 season. The last last few games and and he is rightly in that he has that jersey at the moment um, due to Wayne Hennessy being as very erratic and uh, particularly out of form he, he just seems to make silly mistakes and it's an area where I think we suffer from the back line because it's not not very commanding and I mean neither keeper are, are, are hugely commanding keepers but for a for a goalkeeper the size of Wayne Hennessy um, it, it's remarkable that he doesn't kind of own own his penalty area at all. It, it really is remarkable. So yeah, goalkeeping position is one that we're hoping that he will address. The striking position is certainly um, is it a, the, probably number one priority because we've had uh, the most of the season so far. We've just one fit striker. We've got Connor Wick, Wickham who's been out for almost eighteen months with a, with a terrible knee injury. We were hoping he'd be back by end of October. Uh, it's fallen back now till till the till the new year. So whether uh, he'll be you know, ready for competitive football by then um, is it, questionable. So it's only really Benteke as our as our recognised striker, which is obviously not great because if he's you know when, when he was injured we didn't have anybody. We were playing Townsend and, and Wilf up front, and while that's great for their pace, they're not natural strikers. And and, and we found him recently. I noticed a lot yesterday when Benteke was doing uh, flicking the ball on. Um, natural strikers or a natural striking partner wouldn't you know. You know, assume that would happen and run onto it, but both uh, Wilf and, and Townsend don't quite, quite see that. Um, so yeah, striking position for sure. Um, elsewhere, um, I, I mean, I think if if we improve on a striking position, a goalkeeping position, I think we're we're we'll be in a decent place. No harm in uh, in helping out the midfield. Kabai is is fantastic. He's pure quality, but he can't last ninety minutes, which is a real shame. We do miss him when he's not on the pitch um, because he's just exudes class on the pitch and at the moment he's only lasting 70 uh, if that minutes uh, during a game he just literally runs his runs his heart out for the whole game and it, it, if he pace himself a little bit more but that's just his game it's the way he plays the game for us so uh, and there's a remarkable difference when we just have Luca and uh, and James McArthur in the middle um, they don't have the same quality as, as Kabaya does which no offense to those two guys you know, Luca has a good touch and, and can pass the ball, but uh, nothing like a bike in the team. So um, perhaps somebody to kind of supplement those guys in the middle. Um, elsewhere, I think we've got a bit of dead wood at the club as well, where, you know, we're, we're bringing on substitutes at the moment, which which aren't really Premier League quality. But, you know, then again, it's a problem for Palace in that, you know, who do you come, who do you sign to, to, to sit on our bench, you know, for, you know and, and wait for the opportunity? It's a little bit more difficult for a team like us than it is for the Cities, United, the Chelsea's perhaps. But, um, but yeah, there's certainly a couple of positions we can uh, we can improve on there. Um, uh, in, in, in January, uh, two or three, uh, maybe four, we'll, we'll see what Hodgson is thinking. But uh, Hodgson, his judgment has been pretty good so far. So I'll, I'll, I'll back him all the way. Fair enough. Richard, as I said, we already kind of touched on the left-back position for you. Any Anywhere else on the, the pitch that you're hoping to supplement here in January? Uh, not so much, to be honest. Um, the centre-back positions, although our centre-backs are in great form, um, we've got, obviously, John Stones, who's been magnificent all season until his injury. Um, Otamendi, who genuinely might be the most improved player in the Premier League this season. I can't get over how good mm. he is. He's a completely different player. Um, obviously, Mangala is there as cover and doing okay at the moment, uh, but we can't rely on company for fitness at all. So it still feels like a position that sort of needs resolving, but that, I mean, it's that thing again of really, we'd probably be bringing in someone who's going to have to deal with a lot of time on the bench because... Um, Ottomendi and Stones are uh, are our first partnership now, uh, and they absolutely have to be because they've been magnificent together. Um, so maybe that one can wait till summer. I don't see it being a key issue in January because if we're going to sign someone who's going to have to make do with a, a lot of time on the bench, well, we've already got Mangala, and really, he probably is good enough cover for the moment. Um, I, I couldn't imagine imagined myself saying that even a couple of months ago, well, even a couple of weeks ago, to be fair. Uh, but he's doing all right. Uh, that said, the links with Johnny Evans are popping up again. And if that was to happen, um, I wouldn't be too unhappy with that. I think he'd be perfectly capable cover for us, very experienced. Um, and a similar thing up front, because the Sanchez links aren't going to go away. Uh, Pep clearly still wants him. I am less uh, less sure myself that, uh, that we need him than I was in the summer. But 
I mean, we've still got Bernardo Silva who can barely get a game, who is there to complement our uh, obviously our attack and creativity. Sanchez is a fantastic player. Um, and if he comes, then I reserve the right to pretend that I uh, was desperate for him in the first place. Um, but again, it feels like certainly for the kind of money that we'd have to spend to get him out of his contract, you're talking probably somewhere around 40, 50 million, which is around what we'd have been willing to pay six months ago, but it's still 40, 50 million more than we'd need to pay for him in the summer if we still decide that we need him. So uh, from just from a, a common sense point of view, it doesn't strike me as being that pressing a need. But uh, I, I, as a sort of absolute cop-out, I, I trust Guardiola's judgment a lot better than my own. So again, if he comes in, I'll be excited to have a quality player. Uh, but I, I do worry whether that might unbalance things a little bit that are, are very finely balanced at the moment. Yeah, in, in the offseason, I mentioned... Um if you would really want Alexis knowing that he could keep like Sané or Sterling from getting up to those levels of performance. And since then, Sterling kind of has. Um, yeah. <laughs> for Tottenham, we're always a very interesting uh, transfer thing. Before last summer, I actually mentioned in March that I thought we'd target a center back and everybody thought I was crazy because at the time we had the best defense in the league and ended the season as such. Um, but I don't really know if we'll see much from us this January, surprising or not. Uh, because we just don't, historically. The most recent player that we fully bought in January was Lewis Holtby. So, not exactly active movers in that window. Um, will we improve something? Maybe. What would that be? Pace. I don't know where. Um, it could be right wing, but we just got Lamella back, so that would seem silly, and Sissoko has at least developed into a somewhat decent deputy, both there and centrally. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't really want to improve the left wing because we can't even play Sun every match when we want to. Uh, and he's obviously a very, very talented uh, left winger. But we do need just high-end pace at some point as a as either as a bench option or something. But uh, as we've proven by trying to sign um, George Kevin Akudu, we, which we did, we also uh, brought in Clinton and G, just being fast isn't enough. The issue is that we have to find a player that's faster than what we have and better than what we have. And that makes for very high prices. And there aren't that many of them that fit that profile in world football that would come to Tottenham anyway. So that's that's going to be the big uh, trial for us. Lorente has been poor, I mentioned, in the summer, right on deadline day, that he literally couldn't be worse than Jansen. At this stage last year, Jansen had four goals. Lorente just scored his first. So feeling a little less confident in that. Um so maybe, maybe a forward, maybe a future forward, somebody that, that we could bring in and develop behind Kane and Laurenti, who surely would be very good um, mentors. Um, Jansen has started scoring in Turkey. Maybe we think that's a long-term option. But as for January, I, I, my guess would be a pacey right winger if we bought somebody. But it would have to be somebody pretty high-end uh, to warrant purchasing. Because, um, again, they'd be pushing one of Erickson, Ali, or Son consistently out of the starting lineup. And there just aren't that many players uh, that can do that. All right, we will wrap up here with match previews. Uh, there's obviously Premier League matches midweek. Uh, out of the three of us, the first match on the slate will be Crystal Palace versus Watford. Uh, Jay, I mentioned Watford. It's one of my teams that I've been very impressed by. But uh, you have been on form, just not picking up all three points. Do you think you'll be able to rectify that? Fingers crossed, yeah. Watford haven't don't travel well this season, thankfully. Um, hopefully, this will be another uh, bit of a woe for them uh, away from home. Uh, second consecutive game at home for us. Fingers crossed, Christian Benteke can really make up for and, and appease the fans a little bit from his uh, his bad decision to take the penalty off of Luca on Saturday. Uh, no doubting, as any striker will be, be itching to get back out there and get on the score sheet. Um, I'm convinced. Um, he's going to score on Tuesday. Whether we win is a different matter. Watford are a very good side, um, as are all clubs in the Premier League. But Watford particularly have impressed me this season uh, in, in the way they've gone about things under Marco Silva. Uh, whether it will last is it, it is another matter uh, for some of these clubs that are showing good form at the start of the season. I'm hoping our form will continue. There's no reason why we can't get at least a point out of this one. But um, in our position now, after fans get all three points against Bournemouth, we could do with the three points on Tuesday, and uh, I wouldn't put it past us to do that. So, uh, if we play the way we did on Saturday, then uh, then Watford uh, be 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 in for a game. And if there's a penalty, Benteke will not 
take it. <laughs> I, I, I think he'll be the furthest away from that ball as possible. <laughs> he'll go back in goal, and you'll push Sears yeah. Peroni further up. Um, exactly. Richard, you have a slightly easier task facing Swans. You have not really offered much this season. Um, I'm assuming that this is looking like a, a pretty cakewalk for you. Um, well, obviously, I, I can't dress it up and pretend it's not a game that we uh, we don't expect to win. Obviously, we do. Um, Swans are, are struggling, or have been struggling massively, was it? Seven defeats out of the last eight prior to yesterday yeah. is an absolutely disastrous form. Um, but this part of me thinks that when... When we do lose a game, it's going to come against somebody. Um, it's going to come against one of the, the lower teams rather than a United, Chelsea, or Tottenham. That said, we've got Tottenham next week, um, so there's still time for uh, for that to make me sound stupid. Um, but I, I worry about um, I worry about these games as much as any other because we have to lose at some point, and if it sort of becomes a numbers game, really, our form of 14 consecutive league wins is so unlikely that I mean, it's so unlikely that it's never been done before. Like, why? How much longer can it really go on? Um, so, on the face of it, yeah, we should beat Swansea. We should really beat them quite convincingly. They don't score goals, um, but for teams that are currently setting up and frustrating us a little bit, the the fight, like I said before, the the sort of four, five, six nil wins are. Uh, around the picture at the moment we're having to win in different ways really good that we're showing we can do that Swansea's defensive record is is it 6th or 7th best in the league that isn't their problem so whilst we might not expect them to be uh, you know we might not have to sort of batten down the hatches to keep them out I also I'm not convinced that we're going to find it easy to break them down um, we should find a way through eventually we're good enough to we're you know we're doing it against everyone uh, but I, I don't expect it to be to be dead easy, uh, particularly after today's exertions. And I say that not as a, a cop-out or anything like that, because obviously every team's played this weekend. Um, but the, the games recently, I think, have been draining, uh, not just physically, but mentally, because it's it's like having to keep going right to the end. It works you in a different way. Um, so, yeah, a, another game of having to find our way through a packed defence. Maybe this is the one where it doesn't quite happen for us. Uh, I also worry that Wilfred Bonney is finding himself in goal-scoring form for the first time in about three years, just at peak time to come back to Haunters. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, kind of in the script. Although I was very worried that Crouch would score against Tottenham and he didn't, so uh, <laughs> best of luck to you uh, in that regard. Um, we'll wrap it up here with Tottenham versus Brighton. I uh, was actually a little bit worried about this one um, just because of Wembley's struggles. And Brighton seemed to be very much on the way up. They played a Huddersfield team that seemed to be very much trending down. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's a 2-0 Huddersfield win, which just kind of threw my opinion of those two kind of back up in the air. Uh, obviously, talent-wise, this is one we should be winning, but we have struggled at home already. We have, you know, <laughs> no, we haven't. I was about to say we've struggled against the promoted teams. That is untrue. We pretty much categorically beat Newcastle and Huddersfield thus far. Uh, hopefully, we can do that again. I don't really think we'll see much rotation I know a lot of people on the fantasy side are worried about that, and especially because Tottenham will have a double game week to start January. We do not take out Harry Kane or Christian Eriksen. It just basically does not happen. So you basically fill the rest of the team. You, see, you assume Sun starts. As I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Della actually sat this one. Um, what we do in central midfield I think will be really interesting because Dembele has injury history, and Harry Winks still is bleeding himself into the first team. And with no Eric Dyer able to play there, because he has to play in defense, because Alderweireld hurt and Devinson is suspended, maybe we'll see Sissoko in central midfield, which, by the way, not to like toot my own horn here, but when we signed Sissoko, I said that was the only way I'd be okay with us having signed him. And then it took a full calendar year for us to see him play there. Uh, I don't know what took so long there. Unless we were just working on it in training and Poch wasn't confident in it until this season. Um, but I would not be surprised if we saw Sissoko in midfield. But again, this is one of those, in theory, talent should trump uh, come the end of the match. But uh, obviously will be a test, but I I'm going to say Tottenham win this one. All right, and that will do it uh, for the show today. If you'd like to tell the folks where to find you guys, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks, Kev, for having me on. Um, it's been uh, it's been a while, but it's great to be back. Um, I'm I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak uh, Palace fan site. You can get us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. There's a lot of interaction. Um, 
every day pretty much and there's articles that go on the site every day so head on over to our twitter account at the eagles beak and also the website eaglesbeak.com and i'm also a producer and co-host of a local community sports radio show called the meridian sports show you can get us online you can go you follow us on twitter at the meridian zest and if you go to meridianfm.com you can hear us online uh online uh, but live on air every tuesday between 8 and 11. Yeah, I'm Richard Burns. I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, uh, and I write two articles a week for Yahoo Sports, specifically about City. And I am a member of the Blue Moon podcast, which is, comes out every Friday. It's a dedicated Manchester City podcast, and we're on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings at goal.com under the gaming tab. Uh, also on this channel, uh, there will not be a championship show up by the time you're listening to this, but we will have tried to sneak out a fantasy show uh, before uh, lineups lock again on Tuesday with the midweek matches. Uh, so if you're so inclined, be sure to go check that out. Uh, thanks so much to Jay and Richard for joining me today, and we hope you keep listening. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.